0: Open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 12. Stand with me in honor of God's word tonight. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes we're we're raised in environments and um, there can be such a hem- heavy emphasis on some things that um, you're reluctant to, to share on things because of maybe how strong an emphasis was placed on it? You know, maybe you're thinking about some of the spiritual roots that you might have, and, and you're thinking about how, much, how strong an emphasis there might have been placed on maybe there was faith, or maybe there was holiness, or, or maybe it was doctrine, or maybe it was, you know, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and you saw abuses, you saw, you know, um, prophecy go crazy, and all kinds of weird things go on. But how many of you know that we cannot throw out um, the meat with the with the bones, that we need to throw out the bones and, and eat the meat. And there, uh, I've always kind of lived by a model that says that I would never be afraid to share on anything. And so um, I, uh, I have a message on my heart tonight, and I really believe that God's put it on my heart tonight. And so I, hopefully you'll hear my heart, and I believe it's going to help um, if you have ears to hear uh, tonight. Look at Numbers 12. Look at 1. It says, while they were at Hazaroth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. They said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? But the Lord heard them. Now Moses was very humble and more humble than any other person on the earth. It's amazing that Moses wrote that. Now Moses was very humble and more humble than any other person on the earth. Um, <laughs> So immediately the Lord called to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, and said, Go out to the tabernacle, all three of you. So the three of them went out to the tabernacle, and the Lord descended in the pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tabernacle. Aaron and Miriam, he called, and they stepped forward, and the Lord said to them, Now listen to what I say. If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions. I'd speak to them in dreams, but not with my servant Moses. Of all my house, he's the one I trust." I speak to him face to face clearly and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. So why were you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses? The Lord was very angry with them and he departed. As the cloud moved from above the tabernacle, there stood Miriam. Her skin was as white as snow from leprosy. When Aaron saw what had happened to her, he cried out to Moses, Oh, my master, please don't punish us for this sin we so foolishly committed. Don't let her be like a stillborn baby already decayed at birth. So Moses cried out to the Lord, O God, I beg you, please heal her. But the Lord said to Moses, if her father had done nothing more than spit in her face, wouldn't she be defiled for seven days? So keep her outside the camp for seven days, and after that she may be accepted back. So Miriam was kept outside the camp for seven days, and the people waited until she was brought back before they traveled again. Then they left Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Father God, I just ask that you would just meet us here tonight. Father, I ask that you would reveal your word, your truth. And Father, we want to be healthy Christians. And so, Father, I ask that you would speak as your word's going forth, that you would be speaking to our hearts and to our lives because every time your word goes forth, it does not return back to you empty or void, but it accomplishes that for which you've sent it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. You can be seated. I don't have any notes tonight, so if you're looking for them on Version, you're not gonna find them. I just wanted to be able to share from my heart tonight. Um, I've titled this message, The Spiritual Side of Authority, um, because there's a natural aspect of authority that we all understand, and there's a spiritual side of authority as well. Here in this account, Aaron and Miriam are speaking against Moses and they're doing it from the basis that, has God only spoken to Moses? Hasn't He spoken to us too? Let's just set this up. Aaron and Miriam are Moses' big brother and big sister. And they're not just any players in the in the well, you could call it the body of believers among the Israelites. They are key. Think about it. Aaron was Moses' voice when Moses didn't have the guts to speak. Think about it. Miriam, God called her a prophetess. She's not a self-proclaimed prophetess. She is a prophetess. She was huge in the leadership there. But they're speaking against Moses, and they had a legit beef. It was legit. They're speaking against Moses because he married outside of the camp of Israel. Some people have tried to say that it was a skin color issue. Well, not at all. Um, It was never a a race issue. It was the purity of a people before God issue. God clearly had no problem with color of skin. It was a fact that she was a Cushite, and most believe that this is Zipporah um, that's being spoken of here. And so because Moses made a mistake, he married outside of the camp of Israel, they began to criticize him. Now, I just want to to say this, because the principles that we're going to talk about tonight, you're going to see them in light of marriage, you're going to see them in light of even the presidency. And if there's anything that grieves me, it's how we talk about our president. Um, whether you voted for him or not, and whether you think that um, you know he was you know, free of scandal or whatever that you want, he still... The president of the United States in Acts 23 verse 5 says, you do not speak evil of the ruler of your people. And yet people talk about our president like he is just the biggest loser, the biggest idiot, the biggest... And it it, it grinds me. And so what I'm hoping that you see tonight as I'm sharing is not just practical authority, but there is a spiritual aspect to understanding authority. And the things that I'm sharing tonight were critical before Lisa and I came to Ionia. In fact, it was one of the biggest lessons and I learned it painfully um, before we came to Ionia. It almost cost me my job. I almost was ousted from the ministry um, or at least that's the impression that my pastor gave me um, when I was struggling doing what he was asking me to do because I thought it was so unreasonable. He wasn't even thinking about my family. I hadn't been home and he kept asking me to go to this event and represent our church. I didn't want to go. And finally, I said, you know what, I really, I haven't been home all week, and I hadn't been. Two little boys, I just wanted to be home with my family. And he said, John, you're going, and that's final, and I don't want to talk to you about it again. And, I, and he pointed at me, and he just turned tail and he walked out of the office. And, but what he didn't know behind the scenes is that God had been dealing with me about having a servant's heart. And so I came from a, from a strict environment. I mean, my pastor, the pastor that I was under, would sit down and he would tell me what day I could have off during the week. And every, and every other day would be given to ministry. He was very, very strict. And so because of that, you know, sometimes I'm a little hesitant to talk about spiritual authority because of some of the heavy-handed side that I'd seen to it. But there's a very, very healthy aspect to it. You don't throw out faith if you grew up in, a, in an abusive word of faith, you know, kind of upbringing. And so... I want to present a healthy side of authority. Notice what it says in Numbers 12. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? And then it says, but the Lord heard them. But the Lord heard them. And that's a huge sentence there. But the Lord heard them. God calls them forward. I want you to see that in this account, God never brought up the fact that Moses married outside of the camp of Israel he never mentioned it once. And it's not like it was being excused. He's just not bringing it up. It seems not to be the issue. And he begins to speak about Moses' character. He said, there's a prophet among you. I speak to him in a dream. I speak to him in a vision. Not so my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. And he sees the Lord as he is, or the older versions will say, he sees the form of the Lord. Think about it, church. God never appeared in a form. Ever, Because he knew that if he did, the people would fashion that form and they'd worship the form. But God could trust Moses. He could appear to him and he sees the form of the Lord or he sees the Lord as he is. Moses could handle it. God knew that he could handle it. He said, he's faithful in all my house or I trust him. I trust him. And this is one thing I know for certain. I know that anyone who has been appointed to any position of authority whether it's spiritual authority as a pastor in a church or whether it's the authority that's over a corporation as a business owner whatever it is God has entrusted those things to them but spiritual authority isn't like any other authority because i don't really have any 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 leverage over over you guys, I can't say you know what. That's it. You pick up your last check. You're done. I've had it. You know that's not the case. You either recognize the principles that we're going to talk about tonight, or or you don't. And I'll challenge you tonight that it will go a long ways towards good. If there's anything that you want to raise your children and your children's children with, you want to raise them with a healthy respect for authority. Now, am I saying that you can't disagree with authority? Of course not. But I'm saying you do not want to be in a place where you're disrespecting and you're dishonoring authority. That's a place you do not want to be in. And that's what's happening here. It says that they spoke against Moses or they criticized Moses. And so older versions say spoke against. Here it says criticize. And the Lord said to them in verse 8, I speak to Moses face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is, or he sees the form of the Lord why were you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses? Why were you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses? Pretty much saying there is not a healthy enough fear here for, for Moses. He's the set person, and you need to honor that. And I don't care if it's your boss. I, I don't care if it's a teacher or if it's a coach. Respect. Respect. It is amazing to me how much respect and honor for authority is dwindling in our nation. And I believe that we're a nation divided today because of the fact that we don't honor authority like we once did. I mean, we're in America. If you would have told me that there would be days that we wouldn't honor the flag, are, are, are you moved to another country? I don't, I don't get it. How could you not honor our flag? I mean, do you remember the story? Are we so far removed? Are we a nation that's so old in comparison to other nations? We are a baby. We're a baby. And we're not honoring our president. We're not honoring our flag. We've got people opposing the national anthem, kneeling down. Millionaires kneeling down, refusing. We are living in a day and age when authority is no longer understood. Remember the Roman centurion? I think it's Matthew 8. Remember the Roman centurion? Um, his he sent his servant um, to to bring Jesus um, back to to heal um, a, a, a servant of the centurion I think and and uh, um, and uh, or to heal the centurion came to heal the servant and Jesus said I'll go and he said you don't need to go I'm not worthy to have you come underneath my roof I too am a man under authority I say to this one go and he goes I say to this one come and he comes. And Jesus said, I have not seen faith like this, even in Israel. What did Jesus call great faith? He called the Roman centurion's understanding of authority great faith. And so I want to talk about how critical it is that you understand authority. I want to talk about how important it is that you not only grasp, but that you understand it. And then I want to show you that this just doesn't apply to, um, to spiritual authorities. It applies to governing authorities. It even applies to marriage. Let me show you a scripture, and don't lose your place. We're going, to come, we're going to come back to Numbers 12, because I want to show how important it is regarding an entire people. But go to 1 Corinthians 11. I want to show you a scripture that maybe you never saw it in this light before, because I want you to see that a healthy understanding of authority affects every aspect of your life. 1 Corinthians 11 And if the context of this is worship, okay? Look at verse 1, 11.1. 11, 1. It says, I'm so glad that you always keep me in your thoughts and that you are following the teachings I passed on to you. But there's one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. The head of Christ is God. And a man dishonors his head if he covers his head while praying or prophesying. Um, but a woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head. For this is the same as shaving her head. What a strange thing. What's it talking about? And Now, I know that there was a cultural aspect of this. I understand that back in the day for a woman to let her hair down in church, you know, would have put her on a level of like a prostitute. But there is a greater truth here. And it is all based on those first few verses where the head of man is Christ and the head of Woman is man. So when it's talking about a woman uncovering her head, it's speaking about her relationship with her husband. Pastor John, how would a woman un- uncover her husband? Because the Taylor translation doesn't say that she dishonors her head, it says she dishonors her husband. So how would she dishonor her husband? By criticizing him. My husband's such an idiot. He's, he is so stupid. Oh, my husband. Oh. What an idiot. He's so, he, he's so stupid, but I love him. I love him. He's just a fool. He's just an idiot. It's the same. It's the equivalent as the husband dishonoring God and criticizing God. God, you're an idiot. Do you know what you're doing? I mean, how stupid are you? Can't you see what I'm going through? It's, it's the equivalent. And scripture says that for a woman to do that to her husband, it would be the same as if her, as if her head was shaved. And we all know that, you know, a woman's hair is her glory, I think scripture says. Saying, man, she might as well shave her head if she's going to dishonor her husband. It's an authority thing. That's why you'll see it. The head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. The head of Christ is God. Jesus has a head. Jesus is under authority. Everyone is under authority, even Jesus. And Jesus is the head of the church. I mean, it goes on and on and on. You'll see this again and again and again again. And again. Now go back with me to Numbers 12 and we'll get into the nitty gritties. So God calls the, th- the three of them out, and notice that God separates Moses from Aaron and Miriam. I Remember, years ago, I uh, was, um, I was uh, just beginning to get involved in youth ministry, and the children's minister. Um, had um, a a beautiful house on the channel that empties out in the Lake Michigan there in the Grand Haven Spring Lake um, area. And uh, he had a ski boat and he would pull tubes behind the boat. And he said, hey, I'm going to have a bunch of the youth and a bunch of the kids come over and I'm going to be pulling tubes behind the boat. Man, why don't you come out and tube with us? And I'm like, yeah, man, sounds great. And so um, I had never been tubing before. I, w- I wasn't raised around a ton of water. And uh, and so we're, we're on the inner tubes, and all of a sudden, th- there were four of them, and all of a sudden, three of them get separated from me, and I'm all alone, and they're all pointing at me, I'm like, you're going to get it. And I'm like, what am I going to get? Next thing I know, he drags me over a wave that he had just created. Boom, I hit, and I come down, and I hit so hard it knocked the wind out of me, and I'm hanging onto the tube with one hand, and he's laughing in the boat, thought it was funny. He's laughing. I go, let me back in the boat. I'm done, and uh, hey, man, what happened? I go, hey, you win, man. You're the rule of the world. You know, let me back in. I am all done. I knew that I was in trouble when I got separated from the other inner tubes. Aaron and Miriam were in trouble as soon as God separated them from Moses. Said, you two, come over here. And he separates them. And after God confronts them and he leaves, Miriam turns leprous. She has leprosy. You can make a strong connection between criticism, spiritually, and leprosy. What leprosy is to a physical body, criticism is to a spiritual body. Let me show you why. Look in verse 13. Moses cries out to the Lord, O oh God, I beg you, please heal her. But the Lord said to Moses, if her father had done nothing more than spit in her face, it's talking about the Mosaic law. Wouldn't she be defiled for seven days? So keep her outside the camp for seven days and after that she may be accepted back. So Miriam was kept outside the camp for seven days and the people waited until she was brought back before they traveled again. Then they left Hazareth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Notice that Miriam had to be accepted back. Her criticism was confronted. She had to be accepted back. And notice that all of Israel could not, could not move. Notice what it says. It says, and the people waited until she was brought back before they traveled again. Let me just say this. Criticism puts an entire group of people, I don't care if it's a corporation, I don't care if it's a church, I don't care if it's a team, an athletic team, it doesn't matter. Criticism puts that entire group on hold and they cannot travel on until it's dealt with. When leaders are unhealthy, it keeps a group from traveling on. It keeps a group from traveling on. And Miriam is a picture of an unhealthy leader who was critical, who had to be accepted back. She had to be healed, had to be accepted back. And until she was accepted back, nobody went anywhere. So what criticism does is it keeps everybody on hold. And you have to deal with it. And you have to confront it. You have to deal with it, and you have to confront it. And I don't care if it's in your family. I don't care if it's in the workplace, if it's in a classroom, if it's in a church. You must confront it because nobody's going anywhere until you do. Nobody's going anywhere until you do. Let me show you something else that you might not know about spiritual authority. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. You guys are quiet. Is this, is this good stuff? Are you with me? Okay. Maybe you didn't know this. In Hebrews thirteen seven, it says, Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow their example or follow the example of their faith. Drop down... And there's a lot of good in there that I'm skipping over, but drop down to verse 17. It says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Did you know that spiritual leadership must give an account to God for you? You don't have to give an account to God for them. When you get to heaven, God's not gonna say, "I want you to give an account for Pastor John." But I believe, based on Scripture, that when I get there, I'm gonna have to give an account. John, give an account for Dan Conklin. Oh, I don't know, man. Not stable. Real sweet guy. Sweet guy. Um, not all there. Elevator didn't go all the way to the top. I'm gonna. Um, we're gonna have to give an account. It's been said that the difference between a congregant and a pastor is that a congregant gets to choose the pastor. And so, I'm not your boss, but I am a spiritual authority in your life. And we can disagree to the day is long. But as soon as it begins to dip over into disrespect and dishonor, then spiritually... You're, you're uncovering yourself. You're removing a cover from you. You're removing your spiritual cover. And you just, you, you don't ever want to be there, and you don't want your kids to ever be there. Hey, 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 don't talk about your teacher like that. My teacher is so stupid. I can't believe how stupid they are. It's their fault I've got, not, I mean, when we got in trouble at school, we got trouble at home. not today. Oh my gosh! Today the teacher—I mean, that kid could be a could be an axe murderer—and the parents gonna go in there and defend it, you know, to the teacher. It isn't gonna matter anymore. No respect, no honor for authority anymore. There's no honor, and let me show you why I believe there is no honor for authority, and it's all rooted and grounded in Scripture. Um, go to Proverbs 15. And this verse is found more than once. I'm just gonna read it once in Proverbs 15. Proverbs 1533 says, Fear of the Lord teaches wisdom. Humility precedes honor. Humility precedes honor. Notice that before honor ever comes, humility comes first. It precedes honor. Why is it so difficult for people to honor authority in any capacity whatsoever? It's because of pride. Because humility goes before honor. And if you can't honor, you're prideful. You're prideful. I, um, years ago, we went to a large church in Chicago, and the pastor's wife um, was just, just this amazing woman, and she would jokingly come to my pastor, and she would drop down at his feet and say, what can I do? And he goes, would you stop doing that? It makes me so uncomfortable. She had no problem humbling herself. And I mean, we're talking like a, the church was huge, like 5,000 people. I mean, absolutely no problem humbling herself at all. Maybe the biggest example of humility and leadership was probably with with Roosevelt and Eileen Hunter. And Roosevelt since passed away, and he was an amazing preacher, and I loved him dearly. He left us way too soon, um, but he um, th- they understood. Authority and serving on a level like I don't know, um, it it was rare to see it. They are guest speakers at the church, and I'm responsible, um, as I was being on staff of the church for transporting them. Many times I'd have to go, you know, pick up the guest speaker and bring them and take them to their hotel or or whatever. And um, it was winter, and I uh I, I I I get out to my car I. I start the car, he grabs my snow brush out of my car and he's brushing off my car for me while I'm sitting inside. I go, whoa, 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 I go, what are you doing? I go, let me do that. Hey, you know, get in there. You know, and I joke around with him. I said, you know, black people don't even like the cold. What are you, why are you why are you why are you doing this? I'm because I was really, really uncomfortable. I mean, he didn't even give me a chance to outserve him. He wouldn't let me pay when we go out for meals. I said, You are a guest. I go, you're a guest, man. And he goes, John. He goes, I need seed too, sown. And I go, not here. I go, not here. I tell him, your money is not good here. I come in, no joke. We come in for a service. we were walking out, and his wife, beautiful, you know, elegant um, gal, she is on a, she's got a dress on. She is on all fours, and she's getting gum out of the church carpet. I go, Eileen, what are you doing? She goes, hey, John, we almost got it. We almost got it. And they are the guest speakers at the church, and she is on all fours getting gum out of the carpet. And I'm thinking, I wonder how many congregants walked past that gum and didn't give it a moment's notice. And the guest speakers are there pulling gum out of the carpet. Let me tell you how I had to come to grips with this, because this was a sticking point in my life. I I struggled with authority growing up. I I was the guy, I can remember one instance when my boss was confronting me, and while he was confronting me, um, I just turned and started walking away from him, and he goes, don't you walk away from me while I'm talking to you, and I'm like, man, whatever, you know, I mean, I had like no real regard, you know, for, for authority, and uh, man, then I get saved, and God's, God's working on my heart, and... Uh, and before that episode happened with my pastor, when he told me that I needed to go, it was a teen challenge banquet that he told me I needed to go to, um, before that happened, we had a guest speaker there, and pastor said, John, go up and get prayed for. After everybody had been prayed for, he'd always tell the staff, you go up and get prayed for, especially when it was a, an unusually strong anointing that was present in the house that day. And so you know, I stood up there, and I got prayed for, and man, I just got laid out, and I was on the carpet. Um, for a while, and God was speaking to me about a servant's heart while I was down, just talking with me about having a servant's heart. Well, I go home that night, and in the middle of the night at about three in the morning, God gets me up again, and he leads me to scriptures about having a servant's heart again. And of course, you know, I'm just not getting it. And I go in that morning, the morning after the service when God just nailed me and laid me out on the carpet, the morning just a few hours after God had gotten me up in the middle of the night and spoke to me about having a servant's heart, I go into the office and that's when Pastor pointed his finger and said, you're going and I'm not talking to you about it again. I'm like, you can't, you can't just tell me, you know, to go. I mean, what the What the heck? And so I struggled with it. you know. I'm like, I'm like Lisa, I, you can't just tell me to go. You, what you, um, I don't know, honey. I don't know if I'd mess with that. And uh, I'm like, Pff. and so I thought, okay, well, I guess I, guess I got to go. And so the Bible says the willing and the obedient will eat from the good of the land. I was obedient on the outside, but I wasn't willing on the inside. And so my attitude was, I'm going to go there. I'm going to get a program, and then I'm going to put it on his desk there. You know, I went. You know, kind of like, you know, get off me. You know, I went, kind of a thing. Um, And I went, I show up at the front door, and the gal goes, Pastor John. I'm like, I go, hey. She goes, we don't have you down here. We don't have the church down here. I'll put you at the head table with Reverend McLean and his family. Well, I know Phil McLean very well because his son Ron is a close friend of mine. And so I'm feeling like the biggest hypocrite. In, in the event because I don't even want to be there and I'm at the head table and God just completely breaks me and you know I hear testimony after you can't go to a teen challenge banquet and not be affected I mean it's just amazing um, the testimonies these people shouldn't be alive and they're up there giving their testimonies so I grab a po- program I sign it, amazing event um, you know um, so glad I went um, and I put it on my pastor's desk he calls me in his office and I'll never forget this and I'll tell you why I believe I'm here today, standing before you. I'll tell you why. Um, he calls me in his office, and he goes, John, how was the event? I said, it, it, I go, it was amazing. I am so sorry. Um, I'd, I'm so sorry I gave you so much static over that. And he said, John, Chris and I prayed for you. We don't know what we would have done if you wouldn't have gone. I said, could I have lost my job? And he goes, I don't know, John. I said, all right. Um, I go, will never happen again. I am so sorry. And uh, um, I left his office. It was just weeks later that pastor walked into my office and, John, I want you to pray about pastoring a church. Let me ask you, do you think that he would have asked me that? If I would have blown him, I might not have had a job, let alone be asked to go pastor a church somewhere. No way. No. Huh? And he didn't ask me once. He asked me twice, and it's it's why we're here. The first time he asked, he said, there's an opportunity in Nuego. We want to start a church in Nuego. And we prayed about it. And we just didn't feel anything. And then he came in again. I go, you're not letting this go. He goes, I really believe, John, that you're to be a pastor over a church. And I said, I'm, I'm not, I've never done it. We'll help you. Oh, okay. You know, so we prayed about it. And long story short, it's, it's why we're here. And it all came back to me coming to grips and understanding authority It all came back to it. The day after, we tell pastor that we're going to go, we're going to go, and we originally thought we were going to to Muskegon, but um, God saw fit to send us here. Um, The day after, the guy that's on staff with me, the guy that knocked the wind out of me with the the ski boat and the the inner tube and was laughing at me, um, he comes in, he's stirring his coffee, and he goes, so you're leaving? And I go, yeah, man, we really prayed about it. We really feel like it's, it's Lord. I should be leaving, not you. I've been here twice as long as you. I want to pastor a church. I've been here six years. You've been here three, John. And I said, buddy, you're not going anywhere until you learn how to submit to authority. Those were the words that came out of my mouth. Because he was always going head to head with Pastor. I mean, he was openly critical of him and didn't, didn't care if he said it right to his face. I would, are you thinking at all? Duh, hello. I mean, that's how he would talk to pastor. I go, you're not going anywhere until you learn how to submit to pastor's authority. And here I am, you know, the pot calling the kettle black because I'm fresh out of the experience, you know. But I'll tell you right now, there is no way that God would have sent somebody here That struggled with this. I'll lead you to one more portion of Scripture, and then we're going to have to wrap it up. Go to Exodus 15. And Pastor John, how do you know what these verses are without any notes? Let me tell you. Um, I have lived these things. Look at Exodus 15, look at 22. It says, Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea, and they moved out to the desert ashore. They traveled in this desert for three days without finding any water, and when they came to the oasis of Marah, the water was too bitter to drink. So they called the place Marah, which means bitter. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. Here we go again. Where are we going to get, where are we, um, what are we going to drink, they demanded. Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it into the water, and he made the water good to drink. And it was there at Marah that the Lord set before them the following decrees, a standard to test their faithfulness to him. If you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands, keeping all of his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases that I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And then it says, after leaving Mara. The Israelites traveled on to the oasis of Elam where they found 12 springs, 70 palm trees, and they camped there beside the water. Notice it says that they found 12 springs and 70 palm trees. The numbers 12 and 70 are numbers of authority. 12 disciples, 70 elders, they depict authority. If the people would not have dealt with with their bitterness and with their complaining and with speaking against Moses, if God would have not healed that situation, they weren't going anywhere. They were not going to move on to places representing authority, places of 12 and, 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 and places of 70. Because bitter complaining people can never be in leadership because it spreads. And then you just don't have one bitter person and one complaining person. You've got a whole bunch of them. And they've got a problem and they've got an attitude with anything. I've seen churches choked to death by complaining and bitterness. And if you look up the words murmuring and complaining in the Old Testament, you know what it means? It means to no longer be moving. It means to stop. It means to stay permanently. You're not going anywhere. Just like the children of Israel couldn't go anywhere until Miriam got healed and was accepted back into the camp. Criticism, murmuring, complaining, it puts everything at a standstill. Nobody's going anywhere. God won't allow it. He's not going to let it spread. He's not going to put those people over anything because they will affect everybody. The Bible says bitterness is a root that can spring up and defile many. And how many of you know when the Bible uses the word many, it's a lot. There's nothing that spreads like bitterness. Nothing. And when people have a complaining, critical spirit they speak against and they challenge authority, It doesn't matter. Highest office in the land, the president, the pastor. I mean, they're all idiots. I mean, any one of you want to be president right now in our nation? Anyway, Isn't it amazing how we don't pray for the people that have an office like that? Even President Trump said, man, if I knew it was going to be this tough, I don't think I would have signed up for it. You pray for those that are over you. You pray for them. Okay, I lied. One last verse. Romans 13. The consummate portion of Scripture on authority. And I want you to notice the language here, and then I'm going to give you a a big caveat at the end of this and really nail the point home. And to this day, when I read this, knowing the backdrop, it just kind of boggles my mind a little bit. It says, Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. All authority comes from God. All authority comes from God. Doesn't matter how they got there. They're there because God wants them. President Trump didn't slip into office without God knowing it. How did he get in there? Would you look at Michael Gabriel? That's amazing how he just slipped into office like that. Oh my, how did that happen? It says, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Does it get any clearer than this? Let me know. When I lose you, everyone must submit to governing authorities. All authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. People that are in positions of authority have been placed there by God. That's why they're there. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted or could I even take it a step further, not adding to scripture, but man, if you rebel what God has placed, you're really rebelling against God. God, I do not agree. I just Serious? You couldn't do better than a Pollock from the west side of Grand Rapids to send out there to Ionia to pastor that church. Are you serious? Come on, there's got to be sharper, sharper knives in the drawer, got to be brighter bulbs in the pack than, than that. Said for the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what's right and they'll honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. You want a clear conscience? Submit to authority. Submit to it. Pay your taxes, too, for the same reasons for government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. We're talking about government officials that are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone you owe them. Pay your tax and government fees to those who collect them. Give respect and honor those who are in authority. Give respect and honor those who are in authority. And let me just add this. The authority that was in place at that writing was Nero. Nero, you want to lose sleep tonight? Read up on Nero and what he did to Christians. He was insane. He was a demonized madman. Absolutely insane. Crazy. I believe I, I could be wrong, but uh, um, I, I recount some of the, some of the stories. Um, one of them was he uh, would sl- slide Christians down these slides. When they'd get to the bottom, they'd be cut in half. It was a gr- a one great big long blade. He would put Christians in his backyard. He'd tie them up his backyard, pour pitch on them, and light them up at night to elim- illuminate his backyard. He's crazy. He was absolutely crazy. And Paul is saying, submit to those who are governing authorities. All authorities appointed by God. What? Pastor John, why would God allow someone like Nero to be in a position of authority? I remember years ago, John Bevere was preaching along these lines. And he made this statement. He said, God will use the mistakes of those in authority over you to test you. Because we know authority is flawed. Everybody in a position of authority is flawed. They're human, aren't they? Of course they're flawed. And God will use the mistakes of those who are in authority over you to test you, to test your heart. The best book I know on this topic is Undercover, written by John Bevere. Probably the best book I know of. Simply Undercover by John Bevere. And he personally gives testimonies about how when he was under staff, under Benny Hinn, he had to deal with authority issues. I'll just say this, something's not right when we are always critical of those who are in authority over us. Something's not right with us. And you you could look at anybody long enough and find flaws, but something's not right when we're always murmuring, when we're always complaining, and we're always critical. Church, our hearts are not right when we're like that. And you do not want that example to be set. And I'll just tell you right now, I do not make it a point to hang around people that are critical, that are judgmental. I just just don't. When's the last time you said that you were wrong? When's the last time you said that you were sorry? When's the last time? Are you always right? Are you that smart? Isn't it amazing that before there's ever going to be honor in your life, there's going to be humility. Humility precedes honor, goes before it. God uses humble people. He opposes the proud. Can't use them. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. If you want more grace, then humility is the way you're going to get it. Pastor John, I need grace. I need, well, the Bible says God gives more grace, but he gives it to humble people. And so, and I'm not asking what your definition of humility is. It's not really hard. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and he'll lift you up. This isn't difficult. When's the last time you hit your knees and asked God genuinely and sincerely for help and you humbled yourself in his presence? Just you alone with God. And we're just talking about your relationship with God. When's the last time you humbled your... Or is your time with God more like, you know, God, I'm so frustrated right now. I mean, sometimes I wonder if you're even seeing what's going on down here. Man, is that how you approach the God of all the universe? Like he's just up there waiting. I am so sorry. Um... What can I do to help you? How many of our prayers go unanswered because our hearts aren't right before God? How many of our relationships are strained right now because our hearts are not right? We're waiting for them to come to their senses and, and get, why don't we go to them and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, you know what? It, it isn't about right. Since when does Our being right define the relationships that we have. Why do we got to be right? Why can't we be humble? Why can't we place a value on people over, you know, what we think they should be all about? Pastor John, they should know better. I got in a conversation years ago with a grandmother concerning her grown daughter and she was complaining to me, and I said, I said, you're the mother. I said, go to your daughter. I said, go to her. I said, why are you complaining to me about your daughter? I said, you go to her. I am not going to go to her. And I said, well, it sounds like we've got two suffering people that are never going to arrive anywhere. The Bible says in Amos 3, 3 says, how can two people go anywhere? unless they're in agreement, unless they can agree on the direction the new living says, Amos 3.3. 3. You can't go anywhere without agreement. If we're talking relationships, you can't go anywhere. You can't even pray to God without agreement. Where two or more agree on anything and they ask the Father, it'll be done for them. Matthew 18, 19. Agreement's everything. And you have to humble yourself to come into agreement. Anybody that's married from been married for any length of time understands that you have to agree. Have to agree. you got to submit. you got to yield. That's what that word submit means. It means to yield. Submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. What is it? Ephesians 5.21. That word submit means to yield, to give way to. I just want to pray tonight. I knew this wasn't going to be like a, a big shout-me-down message tonight, but I felt it was one that needed to be brought and I just want to pray over you tonight because we all have areas of stubbornness and pride and that we're dealing with. And I'm hoping that you received this in the, in the manner that it was given and, and spoken. I just want to pray over you.